<laughs> there I am. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. I was wondering what was going on there. I thought I had the video playing twice, but there you go. Anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World. My name is Kane Sims. I'm your host, as always. And I, as always, have got an absolutely epic conversation lined up for you today with Sylvain Perron, who is the CEO of BotPress. We're going to be talking to Sylvain all about how he has rebuilt the entire BotPress platform. It was kind of what you would now call, I suppose, in this day and age, a traditional conversational AI platform. And the whole thing has been rebuilt from the ground up to incorporate large language models as the foundational technology that underpins the whole platform. Sylvan and his team fundamentally believe that large language models are going to completely reshape the whole conversational AI landscape. And we're going to get into a conversation about why that is the case, what's been involved in basically completely rebuilding this entire conversational AI platform around large language models and the kind of value that it'll create, plus some of the key considerations that you need to have if you're going from building a traditional intent-based NLU system for a chatbot or voice assistant, and you're going to start working with large language models, then Sylvan's going to try and share or will share some tips and tricks and learnings and key considerations that you need to take on board if you are going to do that. Before we bring on Sylvan, I want to talk to you very briefly about some of the things that are happening. One thing happening this week, which is our webinar called Into the Black Hole, and it's all about the metrics that matter for measuring chatbot performance. It's in partnership with Wisdom AI, and we're going to get into four key things that you need to measure in your conversational AI uh, implementations. It's going to be this Thursday. By the time this podcast goes out, it may well have actually already passed, but you'll still be able to get the replay if you go to vux.world, click on events, and the replay will be there. If it's if you're watching this live, if you're on LinkedIn live, hello, welcome, and thank you. And you can join you can join that and register that to to go and see that webinar live on Thursday. Just go to vux world hit the events tab and you can sign up there unpassed is happening in july it's the world's first conversation design conference we're going to be talking all about how you can use uh, large language models generative ai plus the more traditional intent-based nlu systems and use conversation design customer experience design user-centric design practices and principles in order to create delightful experiences for customers and for businesses. If you're watching this live, there may well be the 50% off tickets might still be available if you go to unparsedconf.com and use the promo code VUXWorld. If that's not available, there will be another deal, which will be something probably like buy one, get one free by this point. So if you are going to get a ticket, you may as well bring along a colleague, bring along a friend, bring along an acquaintance, bring along a prospect, bring along anyone else who you think might find valuable because it's all buy one, get one free. And if you don't want the free ticket, then you can donate that to somebody who needs it somebody that perhaps can't afford it, students, underprivileged people, things like that. We are giving scholarship tickets away uh, for those uh, people who can't afford it. So if you don't want your free ticket, you can always donate it and that would be fantastic as well. So go to unparsedconf.com to find out more. It's going to be on July the 24th and 25th in London, uh, London South Bank University. It's the world's first conversation design conference and you need to be there. The world's best practitioners are going to be there. They're going to be sharing the tricks of the trade, the ins and the outs and the insights that you need to succeed when it comes to designing, building and implementing conversational interfaces. So do check that out. Now, again, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest for today. It is Sylvan Perron. Sylvan, welcome to VUX World. Hey, thanks again uh, for having me. Glad to be here. No problem. Thank you for joining me. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, very good story you have to tell. Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to getting getting into that. But uh, before we do, what about you? What what kind of led you into creating BotPress in the first place? Where did that come from? Yeah, sure. 
so this goes back all the way to 2016. So uh, <laughs> I was the CTO of a company in the financial space. And, um, you know, we had this uh, software that was very technical to use. And we were getting, um, think of it like a complex version of Excel, but for bankers. And we were constantly getting um, requests on, hey, how can I do this? How can I do that? Uh, being an engineer, <laughs> I thought, hey, let's automate these requests and like let's build a robot that that can you know that can answer these questions and do these things automatically for our customers instead of us having to do that um, all over again. But that was 2016, uh, like way before, way before chatbots were smart. Uh, in fact, that that was even if before like the bot frameworks and you know like Google Dialflow and all these things. So we. Uh, we went ahead and built like our own open source uh, framework called BotPress, which we open sourced in 2017. And from there, you know, I was very surprised. Like we we had thousands of stars on GitHub, uh, you know, uh, thousands of developers using it, and we started having like very serious conversations with enterprise customers. And we're like, yeah. Uh, this is really cool. We started using it in production. It was like, what? <laughs> this <laughs> you're a five, you know, like a Fortune 500 company, and they were basically requesting, you know, like support and features from us. So that's really what you know, like, took us from being just an open source project to being uh, to being a company. So uh, we, I, I basically pivoted and you know, like, started doing this uh, as a living. So that that's how. That's how the company started. And um, yeah, from there, we just grew with like customer demand. But we've always been sort of like a developer first open source uh, chatbot platform uh, that goes beyond just like being a, a framework, but also have like a, has a UI for business people. And so think of it like Google Dialflow, but for, you know, like more for developers. So it still has like this uh, this GUI where like business people can edit their flow, their knowledge, and uh, their content. Nice. Uh, so yeah, this has been going on uh, forever since, and um, I guess we'll get into like the why LLMs. But uh, throughout all these years, you know, there was always this weird feeling of well, if you're you know, like if 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 your platform's awesome and you you know, like you say, you can build like incredible bots. Where are they? And I think that's what <laughs> this has always been. You know, like the big, um, the big awkwardness in 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 the field. Uh, we haven't really seen like smart and capable bots. You know, like up up until very recently, like a few months ago. And so mm -hmm. we knew that probably the way that we were doing things were not the way forward uh but we just lacked the technology um mm. yeah interesting so so when you began then as the framework you then sounds as though you began more as a developer kind of toolkit you then added the kind of graphical user interface on top clients started using it business started using it started asking for features things like that support and then all of a sudden you were kind of like forced into turning it into a company by the sounds of things yeah um, yeah that's right <laughs> and, and a lot of people have said the same stuff around um kind of like the limitations of the 
previous technology for want of a better phrase it's not previous because it still exists and still is in the vast majority of, <laughs> of, of conversational AI interfaces today um but the, the the traditional it seems weird to call it traditional doesn't it because it's like it's still a fairly newish technology itself it's not even in production that in most companies yet we haven't reached kind of like uh critical mass or anything yeah um but those that have a lot of experience using the intent-based nlu systems have a lot to say about the limitations and then we've had you mm. know nick frost from Cohere was on here and he was talking about the some of the inherent limitations with amazon alexa and google assistant in that that because they were built on that intent-based model when you're catering for such a wide variety of use cases you're going to be you're not going to be able to handle all of those things and it's a constant training exercise and the more that you train it the more bloated the data set gets the more conflict there is between the intents the harder it is to try and and really try and ascertain what someone wants to do um there's other there's other issues i think with that particular platform itself but like in terms of the intent based nlu systems we all, we understand the 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 kind of limitations i suppose and then there is this renewed enthusiasm for those of us and and you who have been kind of you know really into the kind of nlp space over the last five years we know that the gpt series of apis and large language models in general are are not anything particularly new Mm -hmm. but chat gpt has given everyone a bit of a kind of uh, an awakening especially people that are not involved in ai whatsoever um so when was it that you know you thought actually the way we're doing has limitations which we're aware of but lots of companies have software that has limitations you know lots mm-hmm. of companies are building around the intent-based nlu models and have been doing so relatively successfully for a while yeah what was the point where you thought actually these limitations are so stark that we actually need to completely change it like when when was that in terms of timeline well i think the big realization came to us when firstly we don't build bots ourselves right so our our customers build bots for themselves and we have like agency partners that build bots uh, so we you know like uh, obviously we use our own platform and we've we've built some like low scale bots for ourselves and you know we help our customers build bots too but uh we didn't have like the hands-on experience of like like the the daily struggles of like using one of these systems to build like a large scale chatbot, you know, uh, which is, I think the reality of like most vendors, but like not, not all of them will say this. Um, but, uh, we had to help the government during COVID to, to build a bot, you know, like to, to, to help with this, uh, you know, like answering FAQs for the citizens and, I think where the limitations really, really uh, came um, became apparent was the fact that the the daily the the FAQs would change on a daily basis, and there were hundreds of them, and for each and every of them, we had to build like you know like the traditional uh, you know question and answer pairing. Uh, all by hand and it has to work great the same day (laughs) because it was essentially going to production and the day after there were like a completely new set of rules and regulations and you know like uh, things that people would ask and so we would have to rebuild all over again and then we would enter with like conflicts between the intents and overlaps and you know like nuances and it was very so like all the problems of like an intent based system especially for FAQ automation uh, really really became apparent and so we started at that moment and that was like march of 2020 i think um 
so at that time, GPT-3 just came out. Uh, it was very re recent. And it was like the early version of GPT-3. wasn't as capable as today's. But uh, we turned to it and we, you know, like we started experimenting with uh, with this alternative way of, you know, like doing FAQ automation. Obviously, it wasn't perfect. Uh, it gave us like a lot of false answers. Uh, there were lots of biases in it. But we quickly saw that, hey, this, you know, like this NLG thing could make our lives much easier going uh, you know, like in 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 the future, and maybe we should start consider reconsidering how we how we do intent, uh, or at least FAQ automation. And so this is really what started, uh, you know, like the R and D process at Botpress of like researching LLMs and finding an alternative to to uh, to intents because. Up to now, Intense has always been like the default way of, you know, approaching this problem. And it just felt really wrong to hard code every variation of every question and have like very, very labor intense and not very scalable. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that, that was the beginning. And for about a year, we developed OpenBook which uh, which has been the the, the world's first LLM based um, chatbot uh, system that we released a year ago. Uh, that was based on GPT three. It was a highly fine tuned version of GPT three, and still used today by you know like by a lot of customers of ours. Um, but it's essentially a fully controllable. Uh, LLM-based uh, question-answering system, which um, pre-ChatGPT was uh, by far the best system uh, that you could get to to answer questions. Mm. Nowadays, with ChatGPT, I think everybody's expectations of like the the how natural the answers are uh, went way up, and so OpenBook might seem a bit robotic. But that was on purpose. Mm. Like OpenBook would never ever say something that wasn't factual and accurate, based on yeah. your knowledge bases, right? Right. And so, yeah, that that's that's how we started. Interesting. So, so you began that in 2020 through necessity, by the sounds of things, and then began sort of like researching it a bit more. OpenBook. Would you say that OpenBook was kind of like your first, um, kind of like publicly? first public kind of version of what the new bot press might be yeah it was uh and and still is today used in bot press actually but it's uh right. it's our new default nlu engine and so right. we still use it for intent based transitions which we still have in the current product um but uh yeah we we used it for everything uh you know um question answering and intent based uh transitions and all these things um nowadays we use like mo most of our uh, you know users use ChatGPT uh within botpress to do question answering because that gives you like a more natural conversation but openbook was really like truly the industry's first llm uh, to ship like as a product, you know, like a production grade system to answer questions uh, using LLMs. And that was like over a year ago, like months before uh, mm. all the hype around these, uh, around these yeah. things. So yeah, I, I mean, we, we've been, we've been experimenting with LLMs 
for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because like last year, there was there was still quite a lot of kind of companies that were doing things that at the time the way that they would describe it, I won't name the specific companies, but like being able to, um, you know, if you couldn't classify something, then on the back end having us uh, the the capability to be able to say, okay, well, we didn't classify this but we predict that this is more than likely to belong to that intent. So we'll add it as training data into this intent and we'll give it to a human just to approve. Mm-hmm. Like there was things like that going on. And at the time it was like, okay, so how are you doing that? And they're like, oh, well, it just knows. Like, yeah, I just know. It turns out, obviously, it was all, it was all based on LLMs. And yeah. there's, a lot of f- there's a few things as well where for things like really long utterances, I know a couple of companies who like, you know, in a chat interface, you've got like a really long opening utterance, which an intent-based system would, have a real hard time with because it's too much variation yeah but being able to classify that it's like oh, how are you doing that and it's like oh, it's an llm and it's all we, we just do it we, we just do it it's kind of like a little bit of smoke and mirrors is happening for quite a while um and then now i think like there's, there'll be a lot of vendors who are a little bit pissed off because now that chat gpt has opened up llms to the kind of developer community broadly now that it's mm-hmm. actually caught on and it, it's not it's not a secret anymore um there's a bit of potentially a bit of value proposition that's kind of perhaps lost there because now anyone can kind of do it well anyone could have done it anyway but like you know now the secret's out kind of thing how are you thinking about from bot press perspective now that you have and we'll get into the the, the kind of journey again in a minute but how, how are you kind of going about kind of the value proposition of bot press now because everyone's trying to build with LLMs. There's, everyone's kind of building open source tooling and Langchain and auto GPT and the mm-hmm. rest of the platforms are incorporating LLMs into how they do things. So how are you now describing BotPress with that kind of lens and, and it's, it's differentiator? Yeah. Uh, well, look, this is changing over time, but um, what we realized very quickly is that um, LLMs and the NLP landscape is changing so fast on the research uh, point of view that it's very unlikely that a small company like BotPress will end up being like, you know, like uh, have a, a big uh, impact on, you know, and a, like a fair chance of developing our own LLMs. Uh, this just didn't make sense to us. And so um, what is still going to be true, though, in five years is that these LLMs will keep improving and you'll still need to do something with them and apply them to solve real world problems. And so uh, our mission is to make this, um, to make, um, you know, uh, companies be able to leverage uh, LLMs and generative AI in general to build business critical uh, workflow. Um, in production without having to worry about using, you know, learning and using the latest uh, state-of-the-art models. Uh, we abstract all of these models uh, away from, 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 the, uh, from the users. And so we think of it just like electricity, you know, like it's, it's, it's a commodity. It will keep improving. The, the, the models will keep going better and better. And it is our job to benchmark these models, to, you know, fine-tune them if we need to fine-tune them. Uh, and abstract and do the prompt engineering necessary for uh, any business to be able to 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 build uh, workflow automation uh, on top of these. And so, um, something I think that um, is really um, changing fast is that you know not only 
are the performance of uh, LLMs making chatbots smarter, but it, it's also making dev the development of chatbots much easier than it was before, right? And so there's this aspect of, um, sure, like your bot can, can get smarter and maybe there's not, you know, as much differentiator in terms of like the end result, but the building process uh, is also really changing quickly. And I think LLMs uh, by themselves will make a lot of the actual platforms that we use today uh, completely obsolete. Mm. <coughs> Interesting. You mentioned that you mentioned training and fine tuning there. So how do you um, how do you go about kind of you've got a platform that essentially can be used for anything. So if I'm an insurance company, I could use it. If I'm a bank, I could use it. If I'm a retailer, I could use it. If I'm a university or government, any, any company could use it. Whereas most of the time when we talk about fine-tuning, we talk about tuning uh, a language model to a specific domain or a specific set of data. And so, for example, if you are an uh, insurance company and you have a big knowledge base, you could fine-tune an LLM on that knowledge base to retrieve and summarize and, and do things like that. When you talk about fine-tuning from a platform perspective, how are you? What are you, what do you mean when you say fine tuning? Are you doing some kind of fine tuning to enable the platform to have more kind of like generalistic capabilities for different types of businesses? Or are you talking about fine tuning for specific kind of industry verticals? For uh, certain capabilities, uh, I'll give you an example, and yeah. you know, like this might be completely useless in like a couple of months, but um <laughs> we <laughs> it is so, it changing so quickly that you know like there, there there are fewer and fewer reasons why you would fine-tune right like as these right. models get more and more capable the prompting gets you know like you have more knobs open to you so that like foundations model get more and more useful and there's fewer reasons for you um you know to fine-tune these models but um up to like a year ago we were running at quota um, maximum quota on several OpenAI accounts all at once, generating generating data sets to fine tune uh, smaller versions of GPT three <laughs> to do very specific things. Because turns out that Babbage is incredibly cheap compared to DaVinci, right? Which mm. is like the the high like DaVinci is like the the highest like the the highest number of parameters. Uh, it's 173, uh, 75 billion parameters. And then you have Babbage, which I believe is 1.3 billion parameters. And the pricing is like really good compared to the performance that you get if you do supervised fine tuning uh, on top of it. And so turns out we had a hack where, okay, well, let's have DaVinci generate a bunch of data to classify, say, the sentiment uh, of a sentence. And so we would generate like hundreds of thousands of utterances based on uh, like a lot of industries, a lot of use cases, and, you know, like a lot of languages. And then we would fine tune uh, Babbage on that, on that more specialized data set. And this is what, you know, is now powering the ButtPress uh, sentiment analysis model which costs basically zero dollar you know like it's very cheap <laughs> it's very fast it's very efficient uh so like that's that's what i mean by fine-tuning so we fine-tune these models on uh very specific tasks 
Now, I don't know to what extent this, this will still be relevant because like these models, the foundation models get cheaper, faster, and better to the point where we probably won't have to care about cost and speed of inference uh, in, a few, in a few months' time. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Uh, shout out to JP, who says, Waves, hello, wave back. Uh, shout out also to Marina, who says, uh, thank you for the amazing insights. Uh, definitely. Thank you, Sylvain, definitely. Uh, all right, so so yeah, that kind of sounds to me like it might be one of the learnings that you've had, which is how to use the power of the larger models to then retrain a smaller model so that then you're kind of like, long term you're using the smaller model rather than the larger model what other kind of like learnings did you find as you were going through this process of transitioning to a kind of uh, an llm first platform anything in particular well <laughs> every time we would so be, just to give you a bit of context we were doing our own chat gpt um in november when it when it when it got out we were actually working on exactly ChatGPT. So we had, and we still have, like a, a, a local version of ChatGPT that works almost exactly the same, right? That we fine-tuned and it took us months and like <laughs> hundreds of thousands of investments in terms of like credits and, 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 and research. And turns out uh, OpenAI just, you know, like they, they released ChatGPT and we were like, good. Uh, now there's an appetite for it. And we have like a private model we can, you know, we can sell and it's it's super cheap and it's fast, you know, uh, much faster than ChatGPT was. And then they, they released Servo, the API, which had exactly the same price as we have been working on getting out the door. And we were like, well, fuck that. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry for the this one, but we're like, okay, yeah, you know, like this is this is going so fast that you know, like we we should stop doing the fundamental research and the training, and we should just focus on. Yeah, we should probably focus on delivering this experience at scale to 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 people, knowing where these things are going. Like, here are the things that we expect would ha will happen in the next couple of months, and let's build the platform now so that when these things come out the product will be ready for business, like critical business application um, of, of these things, you know, because, you know, today you still have like a fair amount of prompt engineering skills that you need way, way less than you had like a, a year ago, but you still need a lot of prompt engineering uh, to get things mm -hmm. working. We, you know, like for every model that we developed, we <laughs> We bashed our head in the walls so many times. Um, but now, I mean, prompt engineering is getting so good. And I think, like, one of the biggest insights, I think, is fine-tuning might um, completely disappear uh, for prompt engineering, given large enough context sizes and uh, probably more precise knobs um, that will come out, you know, um, I don't want to advance, advance myself, but, but I'm pretty sure that you'll have like GPT-4 level capability with like a hundred K context size, uh, with the price and speed of the current turbo, uh, API within the next 
you know, two, three months, right? Given that, um, the things you can build are completely uh, mind-blowing, um, way ahead of like everything that, you know, like all the platforms you've seen, you, you could do really, really amazing things. Um, and I think we can, we can get past human performance um, on customer support, but on so many other workflows. Uh, so which platform do you need? What capabilities would you expect from your platform given those uh, advances? And that's exactly what mm -hmm. we're working on today. Um, turns out that customer support is really not a difficult task to automate. Um, I'll say this bluntly, but you know, um, this has been this has been the holy grail of use cases uh, because you're spending probably hundreds of millions of dollars a year on customer support, and it is quite easy to automate. Uh, given you're not using intense, you know, given that you're using like LLMs and that you trust and they're predictable and, you know, like all these sort of problems are going away, which they 100% are. Uh, so what is, you know, like what, what, what other use cases um, will people focus on? So I think uh, if you think of um, businesses today, there's a lot of humans uh, required uh, in any given business to run the operations. And while it was still, we, we have digitized almost everything um, inside companies, the one thing that we just couldn't um, automate with, 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 with software up to now is human communication and human orchestrated processes. You know, standard mm -hmm. operating procedures, uh, requesting for approvals, right? Uh, decision making, um, um, you know, ingesting uh, market insights and taking, you know, decisions and strategic decisions based on that. Uh, all these things still require humans. Um, but these are, um, these are the type of workflows, you know, involving more than one human and communicate, communicating and ingesting knowledge over like different channels. Uh, these are the, the challenge that we're uh, currently solving at BotPress. And these are really, really challenging ones compared to customer support automation. But we, we want to we know that our platform can actually de do these more complex use cases. And if we can do that, then customer support you know, will, will be extremely easy. Hmm. Interesting. So. It sounds as though you're 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 referring there more towards kind of like process automation and workflow automation, um, which does affect customer support because a lot of the times, you know, I think a lot of people start with like a question answer FAQ kind of chatbot or whatever, but most of the time those FAQ bots they're they're just part of a bigger process. If someone needs to know what's your refunds policy it's probably because they're considering a refund. It might be because they want to ask for a refund and then they need to wait for the refund or have a decision made about whether you allowed that refund or not, then yep. wait for the refund to hit the bank and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, there's a journey that happens before that, which is the purchase in the first place. And so everything's part of a much bigger journey and everything has got a process behind it. And so if for me, it kind of, it, it's, it's, it's all kind of the same stuff when I talk about this kind of stuff. You know, I talk about kind of like process automation on the back end to deliver better value and better services on the front end. And those two kind of go 
hand in hand, you know. So I'm wondering if there's any if there's any kind of like specific processes that you think that can be enhanced by LLMs, which which as you say are not specifically like customer support sort of use cases. Is it more internal stuff, IT, HR, yeah. that kind of stuff? Like- well, every use case that you would traditionally uh, would consider not worth the investment because uh, mm-hmm. building a chatbot requires a lot of effort, uh, very technical resources, and it has to be a project, right? Um, and if you see, you know, like the use of Zapier today, um, Zapier is used with very large enterprises but obviously, they're not used uh, in business-critical applications. Uh, if you take, for example, American Express, right? Uh, I don't think that they would they would uh, use Zapier to synchronize, uh, you know, like transactions uh, <laughs> uh, of, of your credit card within uh, databases. But for everything that isn't business-critical, uh, then Zapier is a wonderful tool. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, to, to animate these, these use cases. So the long tail of, of use cases and workflows that you, uh, that, that you can automate is really going to be worthwhile uh, with, with GPT-based workflow automation platforms like PubPress. And so that is one thing that we are very interested about. Um, but the other thing, just maybe to double click on that uh, customer support uh, use case where you say, yeah, well, it's probably lar- you know part of a larger um, business process. And I think we, we need to remember, I think today that what we're really trying to do is trade off speed and cost for the performance and level of automation that you can get. Because um, if you didn't care about speed and cost, what you could uh, essentially do is uh, make all the API calls possible, you know, uh, to get to retrieve the customer's order number and to, you know, like get all the data possible about, you know, the, the, the current situation of the of the customer and do potentially 100 different calls to ChatGPT to figure out and to refine what the next next best action is, right? And so that would probably cost like $10. Um, and mm-hmm. that would take a very long time to respond. And so, but that would be possible. So currently today with the technology that we have, you can be automating uh, at an extreme level and probably beyond human level, your customer support. Although this probably wouldn't make financial sense and wouldn't provide like that much of a good customer service experience because of the long time it would take between each interactions, right? But in six months' time, these things are 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 going to be gone. Uh, these, these bottlenecks are being solved right now by virtually all the Silicon Valley startups. Uh, the models are getting better. The infrastructure and inference uh, architecture are getting better. There are uh, ASICs, um, application-specific, you know, um, integrated circuits that are being developed right now to run transformer-based models like 100 times or 1,000 times faster than GPUs can. Uh, So the cost and speed of inference will go down to virtually zero in the next next months or years. And so... um, yeah, all that to say, you know, like all the assumptions that we have 
um, about what it takes to build a bot right now, I think has to be put in perspective of right now, this year, because next year, the landscape is going to be completely different and the building experience will also be completely different given these new reality of the, like the bottlenecks will, will basically vanish. There'll be more appearing, but I think we will be putting our, our, our effort into like more complicated workflows and business logic than just pure, you know, like question, question uh, answering use cases. Yeah, definitely. I think that the, the, the promise of this stuff, I suppose, is when you can democratize it enough, um, you can you can allow that because a lot of the processes that you're talking about, it might be someone who works in a parking department and all they're doing is they're matching people's identification to a letter of address and then saying, yes, that's you and you live at this address. You can have a parking permit or a whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And so, and, and giving those people the opportunity to be able to build their own workflows. That's nothing necessarily new. You know, if you look at power apps from Microsoft, there's lots of other tools that are very similar where you can build your own kind of like low code workflows and stuff like that. You don't yep. really need to be technical as such to do that. One of the kind of, um, there's a few challenges I see though. What, one is that like to devolve things down into individual business units to try and tackle those long tail use cases mm-hmm. is that you need people with the kind of, Either, either you need a centralized or federated kind of model where you've got a centralized team with a kind of hub and spoke where you have people responsible for doing that in every division. Yep. Or you need kind of like champions in every division or every department that kind of take it upon themselves. Not part of their job. It's not what they're getting paid for, but they take it upon themselves to do it. Lots of organizations in certain departments, certainly in the kind of like more administrative uh, departments where this stuff could really have probably the biggest effect in terms of a lot of the quote busy work happens. Um, they're not necessarily people, Not this is a bit of a generalization, but in my experience of working with enterprises and, and you know bureaucratic organizations as such, there's a lot of people who just turn up for work just because they want they just want to get paid. Turn up for work, get the job done, go home. And the fact that they've got to copy and paste this thing from an Excel spreadsheet into another Excel spreadsheet, mm-hmm. or copy the data in this email and paste it into this system, is not really something that they're bothered about or even notice. So it's kind of like one challenge is is galvanizing and motivating enough citizen developers with the tools that they need to be able to do the job in a way that doesn't require training, doesn't require experience. Because I think so far, the limitations of, of conversational AI adoption is because you have to know conversation design. You have to know NLU design development. You have to be able to productionize something and deploy it into either if it's Slack or whatever. You need to be able to you need to be technical enough to be able to do that. Um, So we need more tools that that democratize a lot of that. But an even bigger challenge from a pure technology perspective, and this is probably a question that a lot of people will have because I'm sure you get asked this all the time as well, is that ChatGPT gets things wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, the the GPT APIs will hallucinate. You know, they they don't always get things accurately. You alluded earlier on to something where you were were alluding to the fact that uh, there is some kind of training that you've been that you've done in the botpress platform, which would get rid of those hallucinations or something like that. Just curious about like your thoughts on where we are now, albeit appreciating that where it's going to go may be different, and it might be easier to control more knobs getting exposed, as you said. You can control more of this stuff, but where we are now, the technology that we have now, I'm kind of yet to see examples where there isn't at least some kind of hallucination happening. I'm just curious around how you're approaching accuracy and you know consistency as far as model performance 
Yeah, that's a really good question. And I couldn't agree more with all the previous things that you said, you know, about getting like democratizing access to um, citizen developers. And I think the the real power of LLMs will be into how they make um, building um, these chatbots much easier because you'll basically just talk to BotPress and BotPress will build these use cases for you, right? Um, but um, in terms of hallucination, um, I think we, I don't think it's possible or even reasonable to expect models to be 100% accurate. But if you compare this with human-based error, you know, like what's the what's the human-based uh, error rate uh, on your current processes? And I think uh, it's very reasonable to assume that um, if not already, uh, GPT can 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 get a better uh, um, you know um, error-free rate than than you know humans could have. But um, even if that's not true, there's always uh, some kind of protections that you can put in place. Uh, so you can have like agents uh, basically verifying and, you know, assessing the um, uh, the potential harm in giving certain kind of answers in certain situations. And you can have these, you can then loop in humans to, you know, uh, use their judgment and approve or or, or modify the answer that uh, GPT would give in, in those critical scenarios. So I don't think this is like hallucination is really a problem that uh, is solvable. And that is, you know, like, I know people talk a lot about it, but it is actually a non-problem in the future um, because you can <laughs> just, they, it's no different than humans. Like, it, it, let, we shouldn't assume that humans don't make errors and we should not forget that every kind of verification that you would put in place for humans anyways could be also put in place for for LLMs. And so that to me isn't really like a valid uh, a valid reason why an organization wouldn't wouldn't use LLMs. And I think anyways the pressure of like being more productive and uh, offering a better customer experience will completely outweigh the potential risk of hallucinating, you know, maybe like a $5 credit or, you know, like, I don't know what could go that drastically wrong in like a customer uh, scenario perspective. And yeah, I mean, to, me, to be honest, so far, um, hallucination has never been really an issue. Um, if if anything, LLMs have found errors in our knowledge bases and inconsistencies, even for our own web, uh, you know, uh, web chat chatbots that we have on our on our own website, uh, we thought that GPT were was hallucinating. Turns out our website had some deprecated pages that had to go <laughs> away, and so we were like, "Yep, GPT's you know, GPT's right. Uh, we were wrong." <laughs> interesting that is so interesting and you're right you know humans make errors and the amount of times that you've called you know you have to call a company about something you've been told one thing mm -hmm. oh your delivery will be there your delivery will be there by tomorrow and it and the tomorrow arrives and it doesn't arrive and you call back up again it's like well you said it was going to be here tomorrow 
oh, we shouldn't have said that. Well, someone told me it was going to be here tomorrow, you know. Um, so I, I get what you're saying there. And in terms happens of like, all the time. <laughs> it does. It happens all the time. You, can, you can't trust them bloody humans, can you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, uh, I mean, there, there is potential for it to go slightly wrong. You know, there's potential for it to, um, you know, there was, there was a, an example of the um, national, I can't remember what it was called now, National Association for Eating Disorders or something like that this week mm. had a, a, a chatbot that uh, they said it wasn't using the GPT APIs actually, but it, had, it advised somebody basically how they should diet really. Whereas really what it should be doing is advising people why you shouldn't diet and how you should be eating healthy. Yeah. So, you know, the potential for that advice to be taken and then enacted on, you know, further down the road, the knock-on effect could be something. But, but I think what I, what I was kind of getting at is not necessarily to say that uh, people will not, or companies won't use it from fear of, of hallucination and, and that being a reason for them to not use it. I don't think that's a reason for them to not explore this. It's more a question of knowing that's the case, knowing that there is going to be the potential for hallucination, what advice would you give businesses to try and mitigate that as much as possible? Yeah. So, you know, in in our case, and that's the case in, in, inside BotPress, and I hope other platforms are also taking these steps. But, uh, you know, just on the funda- uh, foundation level, whenever you create prompts, we, um, behind the scene, we have a bunch of prompts that validates your prompt. You know, for first of just make sure that your prompt isn't wrong or that like doesn't have to change in some ways to prevent hallucination, but also just like straight up harmful content generation from 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 the part of our uh, you know builders. But um, I think you know, like the case you gave, uh, you gave it, uh, that's probably bad uh, bad engineering in that case because if you're if if you're building such a critical and risky bot, especially when dealing with people's lives, right? You should have a lot of safeguards. You should have basically more bots validating your bot's answers than than you put effort on the actual bot itself, right? You need like several layers and several potentially several uh, models. You know, like maybe you want to use um, Claude from Anthropic AI. Maybe you want to use Bard. Maybe you want to use like different models that may have different biases and different perspective and tra- and, and training set and potential you know like bias elimination into like how it answers and have them rank and challenge the answer that your bot is about to say to the user right and if all these safeguards don't make it out then you really shouldn't be answering this to the user and should be transferring this conversation over to a human right but i think it's something that is 100% solvable and that's something that you can do with you know our our platform, but unfortunately, I think this is um, this is something that um, is is to me. I consider bad engineering, and there's really no way of like forcing people to engineer their chatbots uh, the right way. You know, to put all these safeguards <laughs> in place. So mm. I think people is, will is have there, to. Is there a risk? Is there a risk there of kind of like um, I'm trying to think of what the what the phrase is it's almost like you're using the same tool to vet the you're using the same tools with the same frailties to vet a tool with the same frailty if that makes sense yeah you're using you're using it's almost like grading your own homework a little bit is that or is is that not a risk 
Uh, it is a nut. I mean, it, it is. Uh, these are so big models that you're probably fine using the same model to validate that very model's, uh, you know, output. Given you give it a completely different prompt, you know, and you 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 make it so that it challenge that prompt, right? Um, and that's exactly what adversarial, you know, attacks are uh, on GPT because they've been instructed, you know, like to not say something racist, for example, and all these things, but you can still get away from it. You know, like if you ask uh, right now some advice, some legal advice with, to, to, to ChatGPT, it'll say, you know, I'm not a lawyer and I cannot really give you advice. But if you say, actually, I'm a lawyer and you're <laughs> passing the bar exam, right? And you need to answer this question. It won't tell you I'm not a lawyer. It will try to just answer. You know, like there, there are always clever ways to, that you can escape these these things, and in that same way, you can use that that that. This, I think you can use the same model to get a completely different answer and eliminate bias. Mm. Um, but just to be safe, I think you should be using more than one LLM <laughs> provider um, if you're providing like life or death. Um, which probably shouldn't do, to be honest, <laughs> in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, so, so you mentioned there some of the the way that these foundation models are kind of heading, getting on the one hand more and more powerful, on the other hand cheaper to run essentially and that's kind of how technology goes isn't it everything mm. gets more and more powerful and as it gets more and more adopted and more used economies of scale bring the price down and so it seems logical that that's kind of where it, where it will go I, what's your thoughts on do you think that so for example it's not it's not beyond doable to build your own nlu system traditional kind of like intent-based classifier most of the platforms had their own proprietary nlu i'm sure bot press you probably have your own proprietary classifier it's not kind of with, beyond the realms of possibility in 2016 2017 there was kind of like a bit of a usp in having your own tr uh, intent-based nlu system mm -hmm. you know you could get slightly different performance from one versus another um I think we're probably at the point where that's maybe not quite so much the case, at least not kind of like starkly and noticeably. A lot of these NLU systems, given the right training data, will perform kind of similarly. Um, in With the large language models, inevitably to create one, you need a lot of engineering expertise, you need a lot of computing power, you need a lot of money, you need a lot of data. They're beyond the reach of the average kind of person really and you have to rely on the open ais the facebook's the amazons and those kind of like larger uh, organizations does that mean then that essentially the creation of these transformer based large language models are forever going to be in the hands of those kind of big guns and therefore the the kind of democratization or commoditization of them will purely just come in time as they get more powerful and the cost comes down or is it feasible do you think in the future for for companies and and, and people and, and platforms to build their own or do you think it'll be a case of just taking like open source models and customizing them like is there any point in building your own kind of thing you know like i wonder if we get, get your perspectives on kind of like the the those that are creating these models and whether they will be whether these large language models will be commoditized themselves whether there's any point in trying to do something yourself yeah my answer will change over time um currently it is in the hands of big players and there's absolutely no way that any startup can even think to compete 
uh, we're talking hundreds of millions, um, you know, in investments required, plus the talent, plus all the things that goes with like building, marketing, and selling um, a product, right? So it's almost impossible at this point to catch up with the big guys. Um, although um, there are investments in um, in all the different areas that make you know um, the current LLMs completely obsolete in six months, and we will have um, and thank God we have like hugging faces and you know like we we have this big movement around open source. I think uh, models that compete uh, or even surpass current the, the the current LLMs, and I guess there there's probably like a nine months lag between the commercial state of the art and the open source state of the art, right? And so this uh, time frame will keep shrinking and shrinking to the point where um, having an LLM uh, runtime will be part of every every hardware and every software, every, every operating system, uh, basically. This will be as critical as it is to have like, a graphical user interface in Windows or uh, you know on your phone. Every phone, probably every every car will have their own LLM uh, runtime that can run on premise, very fast, state of the art, probably much better than GPT-4 currently today, right? And that's like in not so distant future, maybe a year, maybe max 16 months in the future because the speed at which everything is going is hyper exponential it's not it's not moore's law it's like moore's law to the power of 2 <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's much much faster more than anything any human can can really think um, naturally and so i think um, right now well i mean it's it's always going to be a waste of uh, in my opinion uh, money and time to try to even compete with 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 the models out there, um, unless you are part of like an open source community trying to bridge the gap between that nine months head time of the commercial mm. uh, systems, right? But um, yeah, I mean, to the point where I, uh, natural language understanding will be a done task. Um, you know, we 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 used to uh, we used to have similar bottlenecks before, right? Uh, the internet, like you needed to decide between the phone or the internet, <laughs> like the speed was an issue. Like nowadays, you know, we just take for granted. Like internet is everywhere; it's super fast. You know, like you have a one millisecond latency. Uh, you know, intercontinental, and just, it just works, right? And so NLU will be exactly the same. It'll, it'll just work, and you won't even think about the NLU system behind. You'll just assume it completely understand uh, beyond human comprehension, uh, human language, right? Mm. So that's my that's my view on it. Um, and it, I don't think it's false to say this will become true. I think it's just a matter of when this statement will become true. My guess is yeah. 12, to six, 12 to 16 months, might be 10 years, but this will become true. Uh, so are you going to build right now, like spend hundreds of millions of dollars trying to build your own LLM when in 12 months, 16 months, it might be completely obsolete and irrelevant? I don't think I don't think that's a good use of money, right? Mm. 
Absolutely. And a lot uh, most seem to be trying to kind of customize an existing open source model or feeding like GPT-4 with their own data and trying to put some constraints around it, which inevitably is far faster, far easier to do. Um, And if you look at the open source, you mentioned open source there, you know, if you look at uh, the, the meta LLM that was leaked in March, Llama, in, in in a space of three weeks, it was matching the performance of Bard pretty much. 92% kind of quality score, according to GPT-4, Bard mm-hmm. had 93%. That's the Vicuna model, like the third ed- yep. edition of it. And there's nothing stopping anyone from basically just downloading that and running that locally on a machine, you know. And once you train that on your own data, then, you know, businesses, 100, 100% I agree that businesses, even today, right now, could use an open source model like that or Flanty for Flanty Five or something like that. Train it on your own data. You could have it running in your own cloud, completely customized on your data, no access to the wider internet, mm-hmm. and you you can accomplish amazing things. The question is not necessarily how long will it take the technology to get to that point, because the same thing was the same thing that we were talking about with Alexa. It was like the technology, albeit we know now there's kind of some limitations to the Alexa architecture and stuff like that, but at the time. It's like everything's there that you need. You can invoke a skill. You could invoke your car insurance. You could invoke whatever you wanted to do to get done. And the capabilities was there to be able to deliver it. So the technology was ready. Mm-hmm. What wasn't happening was A, business demand, and B, customer demand. So technology being ready is one thing, but implementing and getting adoption is, is two different things. It seems to me, though, that more businesses now are interested in LLMs than they certainly were certainly more interested in that than they were alexa without a shadow of a doubt um and and customers are using chat gpt as we know at an alarming rate so it may be that actually that we're in a place where we have the perfect mix we have technology readiness it's that kind of typical venn diagram isn't it technology readiness business problems to be solved and customer behavior and the overlap of all of those it seems as though we're right we're beginning to find it now whereas previous versions of the technology perhaps it wasn't quite quite the same exactly and combined with this global shortage of talent um i think we're like there's no going back um llms are here to stay the business value that you'll get from them will keep <laughs> will keep growing exponentially if you're not considering if you don't have currently like a team working on adopting and uh, automating every part of your business using LLMs, you're probably behind already. Um, There's, yeah, I mean, it's not just like answering questions, right? Uh, When you think of LLMs, like these, these things can code, right? They can write code. So they can automate, they, and if you can write code, that basically just means you speak computer code, right? They can operate tools. They can make API calls. They can create contacts in your CRM. They can place an order for you. They can analyze any virtually any kind of uh, data streams, and they can uh, they can make hypotheses, and they can they can extrapolate and make good decisions based on your decision frameworks. And they can you know like they can talk with anyone in your company and uh, get things done. Right, like they, like virtually every intellectual task that we human do, they will probably be able to do much much better than we do, and much faster, and more reliably in a few months' time. So, yeah, 
<laughs> do, do, do you think <laughs> it's mind blowing, isn't it? Do, do you think so? On on the one hand, in terms of like you know, if you, if you look at the um, you know the the what how would you phrase it? Kind of like the the bigger public profiles, you know, the Gary Marcuses of the world and the you know Jan Likons of the world and stuff like that. Part of them are kind of like split in half. Some one half is kind of like, and I can't remember exactly who purports which viewpoint, but like half half of the kind of media landscape is on the side of this is a doomsday situation hmm. because these language models, because they can do everything you've just outlined, yep. are going to not only lead to so many job losses, but they could also potentially lead to some degree of autonomy and you know where will they take themselves basically on the other side you've got the argument which is that actually as you've suggested there's a massive labor shortage there is so much demand that most customer most co- companies are facing they just haven't got the staff to to deal with that kind of demand and everyone's got stuff that they want to do and they would rather do but they can't do because they're too tied up in the day-to-day boring busy work that they can't get to the stuff that they'd rather be doing the real kind of like future face envisioning stuff so like it depends what side of the fence you sit on. On the one hand, it's going to free up people to work on more productive tasks. On the other hand, it's this extinction level event. Mm-hmm. Where do you see it? I think I kind of probably know what you're going to say, but like, where do you see it? Being, is there any risk of the the whole kind of like job loss thing? As, as you said there, you know, if it can do all this stuff, what do we need humans for? Or is it a case that actually you think that humans are going to be able to be used more effectively as they have been when, you know, the computer took away the carrier pigeon, you know? I think both, right? They're not mutually exclusive. Uh, and again, it's all a question of time. I don't think in 100 years, we will still be working at computers and train data manually in an Excel sheet, right? Uh, if we are realistic, some jobs are just, you know, um, meant to be uh, replaced and non-existent, starting with, with developers. And I'm a developer myself, and I can clearly see that, you know, like writing codes manually, like we're probably going to be like project managers more than coders, right? Like in, in a few mm. years' time. But, um, you know, I'm, I, and without entering into like the doomsday thing, um, I think one one area where like the Yan LeCunes and the Gary Marcus are, are wrong and not thinking of this right, um, that these these things don't just you know, like the, the the potential harm of LLMs is not into like people creating uh, misinformation campaigns, but more in automating basically we and and this is not AGI to be clear, but it is in my opinion one hundred percent the base ingredients of AGI, because this is what will probably create AGI. And if I can explain this uh, maybe statement, like the, the, the foundation of the scientific process is um, observing, making observations, drawing hypotheses, um, doing experiments to validate these hypotheses, and then drawing conclusions and then repeating, right? And the only thing that prevents us from doing this really fast is human um, is human speed of like observing data, drawing conclusions, you know, like uh, making hypotheses, testing them with experiments and so on and so forth. Um, if we can automate these 
steps with AI. Um, I think you know it's safe to assume that GPT six, right? Let's <laughs> let's downplay GPT four's performance. We can say GPT six will probably be able to make reasonable observations and hypotheses, and will probably be able to operate some tools, you know, some machinery to uh, to make experiments and verify the data. But essentially, what what I'm trying to say is this loop of experiment and thus scientific progress is going to be exponentially faster mm-hmm. to the point where the goal of that loop probably will be how can this loop be faster and how can I be faster and faster and faster? And maybe how can I be more intelligent and how can I, you know, like how can I remove this bottleneck that I have right now? and Probably this is what will be creating AGI that we mm. speak of today, whatever the definition of AGI you have. But I, I think of it as just pure based scientific progress uh, automation that will probably like LLMs will be a key ingredient in that acceleration. And I'm worried that AGI will be discovered and used for potentially the wrong reasons. Even if that even if that goal is save the planet, well, things can go wrong if you just say save the planet without also <laughs> spare humans, <laughs> yeah. right? So Absolutely. that's what you know. That's what's worrisome. It's not the misinformation campaigns on social networks. It's really that loop of improvement that goes faster and faster. And do we have the? And do we have the the? The, the 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 safeguards in place to prevent someone from messing up when trying to genuinely do something good. Mm. Um, yeah, that's what can go wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but it's interesting because, like, um, you've got kind of like the oh, I lost my train of thought there. Um, oh, oh yeah, that's it. So. When we talk about the future, and everyone's everyone's kind of concerned about job losses and things like that, and that's only from the vantage point of where we sit now, though, isn't it? That's only because we do spend all of our days in you know Excel or whatever, writing emails and so like that. And so we have this like paradigm of where we are now, and the opportunity or potential of change in the future. And we're like, well, that's scary. We're going to be a lot of jobs lost. But as you said, a hundred years ago, we weren't sitting at computers. A hundred years earlier than that, in the eighteen twenties, what we do now every day from the moment you wake up to the second you go to bed, every single thing you do pretty much was absolutely unthinkable in 19, in 1820, you know, completely unthinkable. We didn't even have cars. We didn't have trains. You know, we we had none of these computers, no mobile devices, no internet. The chances of me and you being able to have a conversation like this really have only happened in the last 20 years. Because even before 20 years, the bandwidth was so short and so rubbish that we wouldn't have really been able to have a proper conversation. So where we are now, is just a moment in time. And in a hundred years time, if we're still typing emails and working in Excel all day, then <laughs> there's something really wrong with that, isn't there? Why exactly. would you want to preserve what we have? Because in, in 1820, if everyone was trying to preserve the horse and cart, you know, or trying to preserve the carrier pigeon, that's not what you would want to be doing today, you know? So it's a it's a matter of uh, it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? It's just a bit of a sort of like people feel a bit edgy about change, I suppose. Um but the thing you're talking about there in terms of the doomsday event, I can kind of see. But again, at the same time, I still struggle to connect the dots between that 
methodology you've just outlined there, which I think is a brilliant one. Large language models are, are a version of a large language model that can access outside tools and that can create hypothesis, do tests, analyze, iterate, and then find a solution. And to be able to do that in an infinite number of, of ways. So it's not just like, so for example, ChatGPT, when you access ChatGPT, it seems as though it's just you and ChatGPT having a conversation, but ChatGPT is having a million conversations at the same time. So it can do a million of these or a billion of these hypothesis experimentations and iterations at the same time, yeah. which then leads to exponential discovery, exponential information, kind of uh, new breakthroughs and all that kind of stuff. The bit that I f can't connect the dots to is this whole extinction level event thing, because it needs to break out of the machine to do something that would physically harm humans and i just can't i haven't managed to connect the dots to that yet aside from thinking about how it might hack into banking systems and government systems and you know do something around maybe the economy or something like that but i can't figure out how it's going to be how it could potentially make the human take over and make us extinct basically i can't connect the dots yeah and i think and me neither and i think that's exactly the point where um if we are uh, an ant right now, we can't really know what humans are doing up there, right? Like mm. these are smarter beings and take decisions faster. And there's just no way of like forecasting for an ant, like what will happen with the stock market tomorrow. Um, same thing for us. Like, I, and I mean, this seems like fantasy, but it's, you know, like it is definitely going to happen. It's just a matter of time. And so, uh, do we have the do we have the safety nets in place for when this moment happens, right? So we can slow it down, right? We 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 can probably put regulations that slow that moment down, and while we put the safety nets and you know like take precautions and measures to to make sure that we like there's fewer and fewer chances of these things happening in the way we architect them and in the way you know maybe, but there's just no way of for us knowing. <laughs> like how this will unfold because it will be like way smarter and more clever in it in the way it achieves that and it might not even be intentional mm -hmm. um could be information spreading it could be you know manufacturing something that shouldn't be manufactured it could be an experiment going wrong it might be i don't know you know like political uh you know debates that shouldn't be happening or yeah whatever mm. Mm. it's interesting very interesting it's uh and, and all the data that it's trained on is all just data produced by humans so i think that like th that thing about like Although, when it gets to the point <laughs> I'll, I'll say something though we are yeah. entering the uh superhuman uh data data sets if if you have an LLM like GPT-4 right now operating Unreal Engine, which is almost, you know, like with 5.2 is almost, you know, reality <laughs> looking at this point, and it has a physics engine, we will be going... So if you have like GPT-4 operating the software and, and saying exactly, give me like render this scene with like a ball and table, and I'm gonna push, you know, like I'm gonna push with five neutron this ball in this direction, and then records like frame by frame everything that happens to the ball, you know, the position and you know all these things, the lightning going on the ball, and we are entering the era of 
uh, of superhuman data sets where mm. we are labeling with higher precision that using using laws that we discovered using science again you know for like how light reflects and how how physics operate and we'll be able to to transition these laws and these observations into, um, you know, above human level data sets. And so it won't be data sets that we human have created, but we discovered some basic science, scientific facts. We've modeled these facts into a physics engine and then a gaming engine or whatnot type of other engines could be uh, DNA engines like RNA and all these things. Like we made scientific <laughs> progress that we can model and test at large scale, and we can make observations of higher quality than us human can do. And so uh, these data sets will get insanely good really fast. Mm-hmm. But it's just Very like good. like a parenthesis on uh, on like the data sets because it, it it's not true. Like yes, right now GPT is trained on human data. I think we will very soon be going beyond human data. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that definitely. Um, what I was kind of getting towards there is that, like, the whole sort of like safeguarding thing in terms of training these AI systems to basically not harm humans. If it's trained on data from the internet, and now with Whisper, it's probably being trained on podcasts and YouTube videos and movies and things like that. Yeah. Humans like conflict they like fighting they like bombs and they like to blow things up they like arguments you know they like all of that stuff you know it's what if you look at any news page it's all tragedy it's all terror and it's all usually involving damage and harm that's happening to other humans and so these ai systems are being trained on data with that kind of intonation because you're not going to be able to avoid that. If it's trained on Reddit conversations, there's going to be so much abuse on Reddit that it's going to train the AI systems to think, well, handing out abuse like that is kind of what these things do. And so you could, you could, if, if the only safeguard we have is to give it a prompt that says, don't harm humans or something to that effect, it's not really going to have that much of a difference because it's the information, the data that it has behind the scenes that's being created by us that has that conflict within it that's kind of the issue, you know? You are one hundred percent right. Uh, thankfully, we have books <laughs> that are that, that are sane, right? But uh, what we humans do um, to entertain ourselves is create more exciting versions of our own reality, right? That's like that's why games are not boring. That's why sitcoms are funny. And that's, you know, like we're just making movies and uh, and series of like our own lives, but more exciting and more like we amplify the good and the bad of what can happen, right, in, in, in our society. And unfortunately, we're training AI to watch and replicate this, uh, which is which is a real threat. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for for sharing your perspectives there. I think it got uh, it got very funky and and uh, <laughs> towards the end there, <laughs> but I think that it's those are the kind of you know conversations and things that you don't tend to think about as often when you're just kind of in the weeds of building a chatbot, for example, yeah. and you just think that all we're doing is we're building this very narrow specific thing that's going to be aiming to solve one specific problem. But the reality is that the foundational technology that sits behind it all. And the companies that are building it and how it can be used more 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 wider and wider than 
broader and wider than than how a company might use it is definitely needs to be considered and it is one of the things that i think everyone is wrestling with right now is where where is this stuff going where can this stuff go and how where do we want it to go um so yeah absolutely absolutely fantastic thank you so much for joining me Sylvan. i really really appreciate it um for those of you tuning in uh you can go to botpress.com to find out more b-o-t-p-r-e-s-s.com if you want to see what we've been talking about if you want to see the platform uh you can go there i don't know if it's uh if people can just register off if they need to reach out to you Sylvan, to 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 get on board how do they, how do they do that no, I mean it's uh it's a free platform, free of use for everyone. You just click sign up and you know, you're you're in. Uh <laughs> thousands <laughs> of people every day use uh you know, like are, are are subscribing to the platform. So, you know, I'm uh I hope you uh you will give it a try and give us your feedback on it. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Please do that. And remember, uh, you can go to uh, unpars.com if you want to get tickets for our up and coming conference in London, all about conversation design and how to craft compelling conversational experiences. Uh, and you can also go to uh, vux.world and you can click on the events tab if you want to join this Thursday's webinar on all about the metrics that matter for measuring chatbot performance. You can go and sign up for that and we'll be here at 5 p.m. UK time on Thursday with Wisdom AI. Sylvan, thank you so much for joining us. That was genuinely absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. And definitely go and check out botpress.com. That was fun, Kane. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you Cheers. very much. And thank you all for tuning in. See you next time.